want to welcome everyone that will be viewing by way of YouTube and Facebook. We're glad to have you and hope that you have your Bibles with you there at home. And if you would open them tonight to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10. And, um, and I want to examine some things tonight. Look, well, let's begin reading in verse 16, if you'll follow along. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them. Now here the Lord is speaking, all right? And the writer of Hebrews is telling us this. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. And we know that when the Lord Jesus uh, went to Calvary, died and rose again, we know that he took his own blood literally into the very presence of God and, uh, and the, uh, the matter of sin and salvation, it was settled in that, in that day, in that moment. And remember on Sunday night, we examined the tabernacle. You remember the pieces of furniture? There was, a, there was the brazen altar out there by the door, by the eastern gate. Then the labor, then a table of showbread on the right as you went into the holies, the, uh, the holy place. And then on the left was the candlestick and then the altar of incense. And then behind the veil was the, was the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of that covering that, another piece of furniture was the mercy seat. But in all those places, there was no chair. And the reason for that is because the work of the priest was never done. You know, when, when do you sit in the chair? You sit in the chair when the work is done, right? You, you get done with your job, you get cleaned up, you go home and you sit in your easy chair. Why? Because the work is over. And that's why the Bible says, look at verse 12 with me. Notice what it says. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, for how long? Forever. I'm in chapter 10, verse 12. Sat down on the right hand of God. Why did he do that? Because the work of salvation was finished. It was done. It was done. And so, uh, and so let's keep reading. Go back with me there. That's why he says their sins and iniquities. Will I remember them no more? Why? They've been dealt with at Calvary. Now look at verse, look at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And then verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke, one, uh, uh, un, to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I know we've read a lot there, but I want you to see this. I want to speak to you tonight about some exhortations for the end times and exhortations for the end times. And so let's pray once more. Father, Sturdy, thank you for the word of God, this precious truth. And I pray, Father, that, that it being quick and powerful, 
would search our hearts and Lord speak to our hearts tonight and may we as a people father mix faith with what we hear that the word preached tonight may be profitable unto us and I pray Lord for the young people next door dear God that you'll speak to their hearts as well bless those that are handling the word of God there tonight and we ask it all in Jesus name amen and amen you know uh, I, I more and more I can only watch, I don't know about y'all, but I can only watch just about a couple minutes of the news. And, you know, it seems like with each passing day, there's, there's another moral insult upon society. Uh, or, or there's another strike at the sanctity of marriage. Or there's another blow upon the broken and seared conscience of our nation. You know, the, the, the Bible does say that the, that the, what, in Jeremiah 17, right? It says the heart of man is, what, desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Uh, you know, I, I, I believe the Bible teaches us about the depravity of man. And we are living in those days, I believe, according to Timothy, that we are in the last of the last days. And I, I know that other people have thought that, but I'm just going to say that you know what we see in that list of things there in 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 Timothy about in the in the last days knowing that there will be perilous times men are lovers of their own selves incontinent fears and truth breakers and that whole catalog there of the maliciousness and the and the uh, malignancy that is in our land uh, that I think we're living in those times and it seems like all that's in preparation. Because the world is waiting on the Antichrist, but not us. I'm not waiting on the Antichrist. I'm waiting on, I'm looking for the blessed hope. Amen. I'm looking for the blessed hope, and that's the Lord Jesus. And so we, the church, we are longing and looking for our Savior to come back. I really am. You know, and that's why I've said more, more than once in this pulpit, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yes. They can have it. I mean, they want it that bad. They can have it, all right? But notice something in this passage as we're reading this. The writer here exhorts his readers to embrace some things and, uh, and so to receive these exhortations. I want to point them out to you. Look in verse 22. Notice what it says. Let us draw near. That's the first one. Then look in verse 23. Let us hold fast. That's the second one. And the third one is there in verse 24, and let us consider one another. All right, these three exhortations for the times in which we live. And you say, well, how do you know it's referring to that? Because notice what he said there, and I'll just, I'll just get to this. Notice what it says, look at verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, how so? And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of the Lord. That's the day. And so he's writing to them about that. And so there's some exhortations that you and I ought to embrace as believers while the world seems like it's just taking step after step after step after step in the wrong direction. And, uh, and so uh, you can mark it down. The devil has an agenda in the world in which we live. But though we are in the world, beloved, you and I are not supposed to be a part of it. Amen. And so let's look at some things here. So let's look at this first exhortation. Notice what it says. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. 
And so I want you to understand something, first of all, about our access. We have access. We have access. Notice what it says. Look there with me. Uh, notice what it says in verse 17. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, I already alluded to this when I was talking about what the Lord Jesus finished for us on Calvary. But there was a veil at one time, and there was a veil, and on that veil that was between that altar of incense, the candlestick, and the table of showbread, there were some cherubims, and that what that, saw, what that basically meant was, don't cross this line, don't go any further. So to go inside, to go beyond that veil, meant certain death. Why? Because it was a place that those cherubim guarded the holiness of God. And so that veil was there, as a boundary, and it separated sinful men from a holy God. But we have to understand something. It has been removed. Do you remember what it said there about in the temple? That veil was rent in twain from top to bottom. It wasn't something that man did. That was something that God did for man. Amen. And it, that veil has been removed. And so now, that's why we can have this boldness, if you will. And so that veil has been removed. And so there is nothing now that separates us that separates any blood-bought, blood-washed Christian, we are to draw near unto him. Beloved, it's what we need to have in the day and hour in which we live. We're not going to change all these things that are happening up there. Listen, there's never been any hope in the White House or in Congress, and I don't care who was there as president. I'm not talking about Republican, Democrat, Independent, or whatever name you want to, Tories or Whigs, however you want to go back to all those years. Our hope has always been at the house of God and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our hope lies. And that has never changed. The, the things that we enjoy, that we, you know, the scripture says, whom the Son sets free, he set them free indeed. And so our liberties are in the Lord Jesus and not just in the Constitution. Now listen, I, 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 I'm a patriot. I was, I was in the military, as many of you were that are here. I'm a patriot, yes, and, and uh, I don't like what I'm seeing here. But listen, our hope is not in a piece of paper in Washington. It's in a person. It's in a person. And you and I, beloved, we are invited. We are exhorted here. It says, let us. Those are choices that we have. And understand something, God has invited us to do something that only the high priest used to be able to do, and then only once a year. We're now allowed to go in there. So believers everywhere are encouraged to do what that high priest could do, but it was only once a year, only once a year. Listen to what he says in the book of Ephesians. He said, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was a time when, when God was meeting with them in the temple that there was an outer court, just like how there was in the tabernacle. There was an outer court, and there was a court, what was called the court of the Gentiles. There were Jewish proselytes that were, that were made apart, kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember him in Acts chapter 8? The Ethiopian eunuch, he was a Jew proselyte, a Jewish proselyte. And so he would come from Ethiopia. He would go to Jerusalem to worship. And there was only so much he could go into. There was only so far he could make his way into the temple. He couldn't cross the boundary. Why? Because he was still a Gentile, even though he had embraced Judaism. But when Jesus Christ died, just like that veil 
that, that was torn down there in the, in, in the temple. It was rent in twain. So too that court of the Gentiles, the wall, that wall of partition had been broken down. Why? Because he made in out of two people one. He took Jews and Gentiles and put them in the same body in the church. That, that's what part of what got Paul in trouble so many times because he was preaching the truth that God had given to him about now being one body, where? In Christ. And Ephesians says, he hath made, he hath made what? He hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Why? Those who were near and those who were far off, they've been made nigh in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now there's nothing that should be hindering us from drawing nigh to him. Why? He wants to fellowship with us. And beloved, we need the fellowship of our Savior. We need the fellowship of these things. And so, and so these is here for us to enjoy. And we have access. I remember a young man. He's a pastor now. But I remember when he got saved. And uh, we were in a prayer meeting together. And he looked over me after prayer meeting. He said, he said, uh, 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 he said how close can we get to him? And I said, as close as you want to be. You know, and that's how it is. We're as close to him as we desire to be. And, and so, beloved, that's something, you know, the, the, the Lord talked about this. There were some, God spoke about it in the Old Testament as well as in the New. said that some want to honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. And so how do we draw nigh? We draw nigh in our hearts. And these are matters of honesty and humility, and each one of them is a choice. Yes, we can approach with boldness, but I do think that there's some humility that comes with that as we come in the presence of God. And there's an honesty. Man, didn't Paul say, man, there's nothing hid from him with whom we have to deal, with whom we have to, to do. And so the Lord sees all these things. And so as we draw an eye, it's kind of like what the book of James says, draw an eye to God. It says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw an eye to God and what? And he will draw an eye to you. I think as much as the father was looking there for the son, the prodigal son, in Luke chapter 15, all the times that boy was away, the father was out there looking. I suspect it probably was a daily, a daily routine for him. I'm looking for my son. I'm looking for my son. And finally, when he saw him, what did he do? He ran out there to greet him, to meet him. And so too, I think it is that way for us, beloved. We are as near to him as we desire to be. So, you know, I can't, I don't have a pill to help you with your appetite for spiritual things. That, that falls upon each of us as individuals. And so, so the, the, the barriers have been taken away. We need that true heart. Notice what it says. Notice what, notice what he says in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart. That's a heart of sincerity in full assurance of faith. What? Why? That that middle wall, that veil has been taken away. And, and what he said there in verse 17, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, you know, some of the, some of the attributes of God, one of those things is, one of the attributes about God is that he is omnipresent, right? So, you know, how, how, so, so, you know the, the, the uh, critics always want to say, well, you know, could he make something that was so big that he couldn't fit inside? I mean, they got all these hypothetical things. Rather than just believe what God says, what the scriptures teach us about that, but he is omnipresent. All that speaks to me. It says he is everywhere that he wants to be. He's everywhere that he wants to be. And, uh, you know, and that he is omnipotent. He has all the power that he needs. If he needs more, he has it. 
If he needs less, he's got that too. But he has all the power that he needs. And the other one is he's omniscient. And they say that that means, well, he knows everything. I agree with that, but there are some things what he chooses to forget, you're not going to remind him of. What does it say right there? What did verse 17 say? Look at it with me, read it with me. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. What he has chosen to forget, you're not going to remind him of. And whether or not you believe that or not. And so sometimes we, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a danger in looking back. And don't look back on sins that have been forgiven. Sometimes we have a hard time because of our pride or whatever. We have a hard time forgiving ourselves. But he wants us to come. You know, he wants us to come. Remember, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. You know, learn of me, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, and I, my yoke is easy and my burden is what? It's light. And so we need to draw near in these times, in these days. I, I'm not a doomsday person, you know, a doomsday prepper, but I do think that we need to be wise. Prudent men foresee the evil and hide themselves. In other words, they do some things that are necessary to protect their families, to provide for their families. And, uh, you know, if you have some of those skills, ladies, like canning or, or doing some other things, or men, you have access to some things, man, I'd be putting some things aside. I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we live in a time, we live in a time, and I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but there's a lot of fear out there about stuff. Is there not? There are a lot of fears. And, uh, but, you know, I, and I, I talked with someone, I talked with someone just this week, and they were already telling me about, well, you know, they're talking about that the, that the, that the oceans are going to go up a half a degree, and, and, uh, and that these things are happening, and, we, you know, the, 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 the waters are low in these lakes, and, and things that, you know, and I, and I just, I tried to tell this person on the phone, I said, I said, well, you know what, I said, the, I said, God has reserved the right to destroy this heaven and this earth for himself. You know, and this person claims to be, you know, that they that they believe that they have trusted the Lord, but but somewhere we got to put a little feet on that. I, the Scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of what of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I want to use that, and so I I believe God. Now, I'm not putting my head in the sand, and I'm not in denial about things. I just I just believe that God put this earth in balance. <clears throat> and that men aren't the issue. and the, I just don't. I believe that God will look after us. Why? Because he's faithful. He's faithful. So we need to draw near, beloved. We need to draw near. We have access. Let's use it. I mean, if somebody, if somebody had uh, paid for you at all expenses, paid vacation, uh, and I, 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 you know, I don't know where anybody here is wanting to go, but I mean, but if you had it all expenses paid, I mean, would you just be in denial about that and said, you know, I don't think I'm going to go on that. I just don't know if that's so. Well, you know, you, you know, don't live beneath your privileges. And so the Lord wants us to draw near to him, draw near to him. Believe what God says about our past. And then you won't be afraid to draw near to him. Draw near to him, all right? Look at the second thing with me, verse, look in verse 23. It says, let us hold fast our profession. When, uh, you know, when something is made fast, it has become stationary, it has become grounded. 
You made it fast. And what this simply is speaking about is not only are we to draw near to God, but we are to affirm our faith that we have in Christ. Now, now listen to this. In the book of Colossians, in chapter 2, it talks about, it talks about beware lest any man spoil you through philosophies and vain deceit. Uh, and, and after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The book of Colossians was written to counteract a lot of the false teaching that was coming into the church. Something like Gnosticism, you know, and, and the Gnostics that were there. And, the, you know, there could be some other teaching another time. One was asceticism. Taste not, touch not, handle not. All these kinds of mysticism. In other words, the Gnostics taught that men were so, so depraved and so bad and the earth so corrupt that God couldn't have created it. It had to be had to be, have been created by angels. And we know that Colossians chapter 1 teaches us and says that all things were made by him, both visible and invisible. So Paul was writing to refute these things. And he was warning them when he said, Beware lest any man spoil you. Do you remember what that word spoil had to do with in the Old Testament? It's when they would go through and pilfer their tents. They would spoil. It's like what they said about what was happened with Egypt and with Israel. When they went out in the Exodus, they spoiled the Egyptians. They took the things, they, they brought them to them, and they took those things with them. And what this says here is don't let anyone, a philosophy or a tradition, take some things away from you. One of those things, a philosophy, always takes away from the word of God. It is the word philosophy is where you get the word sophistry. It is, a, it is, it is truth so-called, the love of truth so-called. But it's not necessarily true. And philosophies, like the modernists, they want to take away from the truths that are in the Bible. The traditionists, what did Jesus say? I believe it's in Mark chapter 7. There he said what? He said, by your traditions... You've made the word of God of none effect. Tradition is when we add things to philosophies. <coughs> pardon me. Or when we take things away from the Bible. You know, just receive the Bible with meekness. Ask the Lord to help you to understand it. Amen. If the Holy Spirit's living on the inside, he'll illuminate your heart and mind Amen. to the truths that are here. Get you a good concordance. Get you a Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary if you have a little trouble with the King James English. But God will speak to your heart and feed you and sustain you and strengthen you through his word. And so we need to hold fast to our profession of faith without wavering. You know, we just planted, uh, we just put the flagpole out there and... Uh, and when they were drilling the holes and so forth, they had this auger on the back of the tractor and another bucket to push it down because the ground here is evidently pretty hard. Uh, when you get past about an inch or two, it goes down pretty hard. Anyway, they got them dug. And then when we were putting them in, we put the sleeves in there in the ground and we were trying to put a, put a level on each side, checking it, make sure that it was upright and so forth. And then when we got it where we wanted it, we put some, we put some soil back in. There's some of those rocks and things. And then we packed it. We were tamping it down. We were getting it settled in place. Why? Because we know that, you know, the wind blows briskly here in Kerrville, does it not? And man, I love it. But, uh, but so far, it's still up out there, brother. And, uh, and so nothing wavering, nothing wavering. It's fine for the flag to be flopping around, but we don't want the flag pole to be flopping around. God doesn't want our faith to be wavering. Why? 
The one that promised us is faithful. He is faithful. Of all the things that Moses could have said about God back there in Deuteronomy, if you go to the law first mentioned, the very first time where the word faithful is mentioned, it's a description of Jehovah, that he is faithful. Man, he is faithful to redeem us. Didn't he do that when you called upon him? He wasn't playing hide and seek. He's been faithful to restore us as believers when we get off track. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is all about. He's faithful to relieve us when temptation has come. He's faithful and makes a way of escape that we can bear it. I mean, God is faithful. He's not given us any reason to doubt him. Philosophies take away, traditions add to, and make it of none effect. Listen, there is so much, gosh, there's so much stuff that's out there on the airwaves today. We are saturated with information, are we not? But the problem with it is a lot of that information is a bunch of hooey. It's misinformation. And, uh, and so you have to know the doctrines of the Bible, the truth, sound doctrine. And there is a famine in the land of sound, doc sound doctrine. You say, how do you know that? Well, because I look at all the stuff that's out there on YouTube and the stuff that's on Facebook and the like and so forth. And man, I mean, there's every wind of doctrine. It was that way in Paul's day. And you know, and you know Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. What was happening back then is happening today. And so if you don't know the doctrines, then you won't be able to discern if you're going to listen to somebody as to whether or not that's so or not. And people love the sensational today. They love, oh, it's got to be exciting. Got to be. Doctrine is not always exciting, but it is always edifying. It will always build you up. And that sound doctrine is so vital to what? Our spiritual well-being. Do you want to be tossed to and fro? That's what, that's what Paul said in the book of Ephesians. Tossed about by every wind of doctrine, like little children, by the slight of men. No, the Lord wants us to be strong in our faith, to be settled in this, just as much, and, and to be grounded in the Word of God. And so, uh, my recommendation always is, you know, before you buy a commentary, just dive in on the commentary. Dive in on your Bible. Amen. Find out what's in there. Look at sound doctrine from your Bible. Then you can measure what that other person says by what you have read here. So fears are, are on the increase. And are there not pressures from families? Man, I, I can remember, you know, I, you know, when I surrendered to the ministry, I, I, I called my parents and I said, hey, I, I've surrendered to the ministry. And my dad said, I'm very disappointed in you. Click. And he hung up. What? And it took about three days. Before he called me back, I'm very disappointed in you, and, uh, and you know, and, I, and, and you know, and I've had others in the family say I'm not human, but I am. It's just about it. Just means who is going to be first in your life, and there are so many fears out there. There are pressures on family, you know, and you know what? I, I'm not alone in that. They did it to the Lord. You remember? He was in a big meeting there. I say a big meeting. He was in a place, and a room was very crowded. And somebody finally got word, said, hey, your mom and your brethren are outside. You know, like, make way for them. Let, let Mary come through. Let your brother James and some of the other, let them come through. And Jesus said to the crowd, he said, well, who is my mother and who are my brethren? Do you remember what he said? He said, those that do the will of God. So what the Lord Jesus, he was having pressure put upon him. But he said, you know, who really is my family? Those that do the will of God. Those who make the will of God the most important thing in their life. It will always be him first. And everything else is secondary to that. I'm not saying 
don't take care of your family. You know, don't go away from you and say, well, man, Brother Ed said, you know, we just ought not to do, you know. But the Lord used some pretty strong words about you can't be my disciple except you hate some things. And some of that was family. That's what he said. And so fears are on the increase. Pressures upon family from kinfolk and friends are unrelenting. But never forget. Look there. Look, look at Hebrews 13. You're right there in 10. Turn right. Look at Hebrews 13. Notice what he said. Never forget this. He is faithful who promised. Look in verse 5. Let your conversation. That conversation just doesn't mean the words that come out of your mouth. Conversation has to do with your whole manner of living. How you arrange your day. How you arrange your life. Let your conversation be without covetousness. It means you don't have to be grappling after this and after that and going after what somebody else has. And be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, now watch, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. But the Lord is my helper. That is affirming your profession in spite of criticism and so forth. Listen, there are climate change, wars and rumors of wars, economic downturns, election, integrity, all this stuff is on the horizon. And not one of those things has got my heavenly father in heaven wringing his hands. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? That's not him. Now, I may not like everything that's going on, but he's still on the throne. He is still in charge. And I'm looking to him. Remember Hezekiah said, Beth, I think it was Hezekiah. If I'm wrong, you can just fix me up later. But I think he said, you know, he said, basically, he said, Lord, we have no power against these, but our, our eyes are fixed upon you. I can't change the things. And I'm, are you going to vote then? But I absolutely am. I'm going to exercise those constitutional rights. I'm going to vote. I'm going to do all those things that I ought to do as a citizen. I think you can be a good Christian and a good citizen. Those are not mutually exclusive. But I'm going to do those things. And I'm going to trust God for the outcomes. And we get the kind of government that we deserve. Did he not do that with the nation of Israel? When they were doing right, they had a deliverer. They had a judge that helped them. When they got off track, he went off track, and what happened? Then somebody came along, and God used those nations to get their attention. I, I, I saw this on I saw this on Facebook. It was one of those things that said, "Man, if Paul were alive today, he said the church would be getting a letter." <laughs> it's true. It's true. Never forget, he's faithful. And you know what? When, when in, in, in affirming your faith, you know what? When you backed out of your driveway or you came from work today, you know what you did? You told your neighbors and your children that you believe the things of God are important to you. That's a good thing. That's affirming your faith. That's not being pressured by someone else. Hey, let's go here. Let's go do that. No. We need to go to the house of God. You know, that's like when I travel, if we travel, I, th I think you ought to look for a church. I think you can find them, look online, find a church of like faith and go to the house of God and, you know, hear the word preached. Be, you know, vacation doesn't mean I'm vacationing from, from my Lord. You know, never forget. You told them that the things of God are important to you. That's a good thing. Let's look at the last thing and I'm going to be done. Go back to Hebrews 10. Boy, let's draw nigh, beloved. 
let's draw nigh. I hope that you're thirsty for Him, building your relationship with Him. That's so important. And then look, then, then let us hold fast our profession of faith without wavering, wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And then look at the third thing. Let us consider one another. Let us consider one another. Notice what it says, to provoke. Now, a lot of us are good at provoking other people. But that's not where the sentence ends, is it? We're to provoke unto love and good works. And what that simply means is that you and I, we ought to be in the business of thinking about others. <coughs> others. I remember being in a church once that it said, Others, Lord, let this my motto be. I looked that up. You know, it came from a came from a poem. It says this. It says, Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. The other line says, Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others, for others. And, uh, and so it's an important thing. It's an important thing that we have an others oriented. You remember in Romans chapter 15, those opening verses says the Lord Jesus didn't go about pleasing himself, but he did that which was best for his neighbors under their edification. The Lord Jesus did not live for himself. He did everything he did was to glorify his father and to help us. It was for others. It was for others. Remember? He said, man, you know, he could others he could save, but himself he could not save. It was for others. It was for others. A Christian man, a Christian woman, is a thoughtful man or woman. Thoughtful. And, uh, you know, when, when, uh, when we think about that, we, we're to be considerate of others to provoke <laughs> unto love and to good works. To love and to good works. And so we ought to be encouraging them in that. I, I read this, you know, have you, have you, uh, have, you need to take a concordance sometime and look at the phrase, one another. One another. And uh, I, I'm just going to read these to you. You know, it says here in Romans I'm not going to read you all the places, so you don't try to write them down. But it says, Romans 12 says, verse 10 says, prefer one another. 12, 16 says, be of the same mind one toward another. Romans 14, 13 says, do not judge one another. James 4, 11 says, do not speak evil one of another. Receive one another in Romans 15. Admonish one another in Romans 15, 14. Care for one another. Minister gifts to one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens in the book of Galatians. Submit one to another in the book, in the book of Ephesians. Comfort one another. Edify one another. Exhort one another. What do you think the Lord's trying to tell us? You know that we're here in part for others. For others. And not for ourselves. One of the things says that we're to use hospitality one to another. We're to pray one for another. We're to fellowship with one another. And part of what we're doing here is when we fellowship together, 
We're encouraging one another. That's part of this provoking to love and good works, encouraging one another when we come to the house of God. Man, I, I mean, I love my church family and I want to see it grow and I'm glad to see you. I miss you when you're not here. That's how it ought to be, how we have an impact on one another. <clears throat> that, that, uh, that your presence matters. Your presence matters. And so we must keep these things in mind. Keep these things in mind. And then look, look not, only, not only, if you will, the provoking, but look at the priority. Look at verse 25, the thing that I read at the beginning. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. That's putting the right priority on things. We're to provoke, and we're also to show them the priority. Exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Being in the house of God, worshiping together. How important this is for our strength and our well-being. You know, when there's pressures on the outside, that has a way of galvanizing us on the inside. Does it not? Those things kind of drive us together and bring us in a good spot. And, and, uh, and so it is, you know, just like in your marriage, it's the two of you against the world. Or, you know, it's you against the world, you and the Lord against the world. And so it is as a church. It is, it is us and the Lord against the world. And when I say the world, I'm not talking about my neighbor over there. I'm talking about the system, you know, because God so loved the world. That was the people. But that system that's against the things of God. That's why he said, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. And so, beloved, man, we need, to, we need to continue to provoke one another to good works. Think about one another. And, uh, and, and your care one for another. I appreciate so much the meals and the things that have been done for these two ladies, you know, that, that has taken place. And I say, thank you, man. When the church ministers to itself, listen, they're expecting me to go by and see them. But when you go by and see them, it makes such a difference. And they have the right to that expectation from me. But it makes such a difference when you're involved like that. And just to be a help, just to be a blessing, a card, a phone call, a text, or whatever you're capable those kind of things, man, you're provoking, you're doing these exhortations for the end times. Because you know what? I, I just said, cheer up. It's going to get worse, all right? It's going to get worse. I don't know what pressures are going to be on, you know, but I, I remember, ha have you ever gone through a disaster? When I'm talking about a disaster, have you ever gone through a disaster? I, I, for those of you visiting, I've only been here since July of last year i think it's, we're going in nine months or whatever now and uh, but I've, I've been through some disasters I, i've been through harvey when we went through that and lost power i've been through hurricane andrew where the church man everybody lost their power and we we had a generator between us all and we would we would take that around and folks could charge up their refrigerator their freezer or whatever it was we brought all of our food together we barbecued it we ate together we worked together we helped one another you know, those things are good to have happen. And man, we loved it. Why? It seems like catastrophes, they have a way of doing two things. They either bring out the best in people or they can bring out the worst. But as God's people, you know, uh, the church at East River, they served 2,000 hot meals during that time. 2,000 hot meals. And they delivered them to people in the community there. Out of that, that's how Brother Mark Keller got in. That's how some others got in. 
uh, that churches sent money over forty thousand dollars to East River in the effort for us to distribute that stuff. So we went out, Brother Roger went out and bought a bunch of $500 gift cards. We gave those away to people uh, a little bit of time. We had an 18-wheeler full of groceries and diapers and water and food. And we set up the, the gymnasium and the education building. It's kind of like kind of like uh, going to Dollar General. You just went in there and however many people were in your family, ladies were getting stuff for babies and formula and all this kind of, and we did all that and they had, that, you know, it was an opportunity then to get a gospel track and we sent them home with something, invited them to church. We even had somebody that was a Spanish speaking a person. There were so many that were coming in over there. And so this lady wound up getting saved. Uh, Tyra, she got saved and then her husband got saved. And so she was helping our daughter with communicating with these people and giving the gospel out. Man, I mean, was, you say, well, yeah, you were without power and things were, yeah, they were tore up during Harvey. They were tore up. But man, if just one person got saved out of that bunch, it was worth it. It was worth it. Going through a catastrophe together, it's all hands on deck, but we're together. What a blessing that is, looking out for one another. And thank God we don't have a catastrophe. And so, but, but the beauty of it is, is that we're able to do that still, our care. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast our profession affirm your faith and then let us consider one another amen these are things for the end times it's where we are and what we're going to have to have all right let's pray father i certainly do thank you for my church family thank you for this precious word lord that encourages me exhorts me examines me and shows me where i have needs i pray father that uh, that you'll bless this word to our hearts and may we be doers of the word and not hearers only. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.